As we think about growing up, let me invite your attention to Colossians chapter 1. Uh, a number of years ago, I came across a video. It's about a young guy, a young boy, 17 years old, autism. He was a team manager for his basketball team, and they called, his name was Jason, but they called him J-Mac. And so J-Mac, he knew how to run the clock. He knew how to keep stats. He knew how to pass out water bottles, but he had never got in a game before. And he was part of the family, part of the team. They loved him, and he loved them. And so one day, it was the last game of the season, and the coach said to J-Mac, I want you to suit up for the game today. No guarantee you're going to get in, but I want you to be ready. So I want you to put on the uniform, sit on the bench with the team. I want you to be ready in case something happens. So sure enough, that day, the game is at hand. J-Mac's got his uniform on. He's there with the team. Four minutes to go into the game at the end of the game and the coach looks at J-Mac and gives him the nod and said, I want you to get in the game. And the place went absolutely crazy. Well, how did this 17-year-old autistic boy, how did he do in the game? Been a team manager, never played. How did he do? I want you to watch this video and to see how J-Mac did in the basketball game. Watch this. Jason McElwain was at practice today doing what he does every day. As a student assistant, he helps out the team. But all that changed on Wednesday night. That's when Coach Jim Johnson decided to give Jason his shot to suit up and play. He said, this is your senior present. This is your last, last chance to ever get on the floor as an actual basketball player for that night. Jason, or J-Mac as he is known, is medically diagnosed as highly functioning autistic. He's also loved by his teammates and fellow students. That's why they came to the game with his face on signs. And when he entered the game, they went crazy. My emotions started running wild. I actually sat down and I, I started to tear up. I was like, oh my God, this is happening. Jason got in the game, took a pass and took a shot. He missed badly. First possession, he gets the ball, he shoots the air ball. He misses like by six feet. And I put my hands in my head. I'm like, please Lord, just get him a basket. One minute later, he got his hoop. A three-pointer that set the gym on fire. I was very excited. Uh, the team was excited. Um, everybody else was excited. But J-Mac wasn't done. He kept shooting and kept hitting. Another three and another three. I was on fire. I was hotter than a pistol. When he was done, he had hit a team record tying six three-pointers. The crowd stormed the court and put Jason on their shoulders. It was one of those special moments that, as an athletic director, if I retired today, this would be the one thing that I talked about forever. Jason's playing career is done, but his celebrity continues at school. Everybody, I was late to every single class. Every, everybody was saying congratulations. So you got a superstar on your team now. Yeah, right? he's like a celebrity in school. He's loving every bit of it, too. You see him smiling all the time. In Rochester, New York, this is Mike Catalano reporting. Isn't that great? Yeah, that's good. I love that video. Here's a 17-year-old boy who says, "What I was on fire. I was hotter than a pistol. Uh, he was playing at a high level. And as we come to Colossians chapter 1, J-Mac grew up a lot that day. And as we come to Colossians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul is serving the Lord Jesus Christ at a high level. And I would say this about the Apostle Paul. He was on fire for the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And let me say something to us today as we begin this sermon series growing up. 
maturing in the faith, being like Christ, being all that he wants us to be, you and I need to be on fire for the Lord Jesus Christ as well. And let me go even a step further today as we think about our church, which we love our church. Our church in our city, in our state, nation, and around the world, we need to be on fire for Jesus Christ as well. We need to be serving at a high level. We need to be on fire in our day and time. A few weeks ago, Angie and I were in the steeple entrance greeting people and the service is over. Knox Chambers came out. Knox is a third grader now. And I uh, love Knox and his family. But Knox came out that day and Knox said a statement to me. He said, I'd like to spend more time with you. And he said, I want to learn more about God. And I said, well, Knox, that's incredible. I'd love to spend more time with you. And here's what I would imagine. I could probably help you learn a thing or two about God. But I'd also say this, Knox, I'm pretty confident you would teach me a thing or two about God as well. And then Knox, a third grader, looked at me and he said, what are you reading in the Bible right now? I said, well, Knox, right now in my devotional life, I'm reading through the book of Proverbs. I'm learning how to relate with other people. I said, Knox, what are you reading in your devotion time? He said, I'm reading in the book of Psalms right now. And I said, well, you're learning about how to relate to God. I'm learning about how to relate with people, and you're learning how to relate with God. And then Knox asked me this, what is your favorite verse in the Bible? And I said, Knox, that's easy for me to say. It's John chapter 3, verse 30. He, Jesus, must increase, I must decrease. That is my life verse. I said, what's your life verse? He said, Romans chapter 8, verse 28. I said, that is a great verse to live the rest of your life. Knox is growing up and being mature in Christ. Let me ask you, who helped you grow up in your spiritual life? And then whom are you helping grow up in in their spiritual life? And as we think about growing up, we need to be growing and maturing and being all that God desires for us to be. The Apostle Paul serving at a high level. We need to be serving at a high level. The church needs to be at a high level. We need to be growing up in Christ. Now, as we walk through Colossians 1, let me give you a little background here. As you think about the book of Colossians, it was written out of a prison experience. The Apostle Paul, as you may recall, was in prison And as you think about his experience in prison, when you look at Philippians and Ephesians and Colossians, they're known as prison letters. What that meant is that he wrote those while he was in prison. Why was he in prison? He was in prison not because he was a bad person. He was in prison because he refused to compromise his relationship with Jesus Christ. He was faithful to the Lord. As a result, ended up in prison. There are still people today all over the world who are facing prison and persecution and pain. Why? Not because they're bad people or criminals, but because they named the name of Jesus and they refuse to compromise their allegiance to him. Happening all over the world. Now, in light of that, let me ask you this. What is your relationship to Jesus Christ costing you? As you and I think about being obedient to Christ, following him should be costing us something. What is it costing you? For Paul, it was prison. When life was down for him, he looked up. Because if you look in the book of Colossians, what is he doing? He's exalting Christ. He's building the church. He's challenging believers. And he's reaching those who need a relationship to Christ. His life was down in prison, but he was looking up because he knew the Lord was at work in his life. Now, all of us in this room and those who are watching, I guarantee you at some point in your life, your life is going to be down. And when your life is down, what do you do when life is down? I challenge you, I appeal to you, make sure you look up to Jesus when life is down. 
And here's what I know as well. There are many people when life is down, here's what they do. They run from God. That's not wise to do. When life is down, many people, they blame their circumstances on God to say, God did not come through for me or us. He's not fair to me or to us. They blame him for their situation. I challenge you as you think about growing up, Colossians 1, when life is down, make sure you look up and say, God, what do you want to teach me and how do you want to use me? The Apostle Paul in prison writing these letters, looking up, discovering what God wanted to teach him and what he needed to write and how the Heavenly Father was going to use him. When life is down, make sure you look up. Now, why did he write the book of Colossians? It's a great question, and here's why he did that. He wrote the book of Colossians to deal with false teachings inside the church. When you look at the book of Colossians, here's the convictions of the Apostle Paul. He knew this, that Jesus Christ was fully God and fully man. He knew this, that there was only one way to be saved and to be right with God and had the assurance that you're going to heaven. And that was in a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. But there were false teachers who were coming inside the church and they were saying this, Jesus was a good man, he was a great teacher, he was a prophet, but he was not fully God or fully man. And they were saying, sure, he's one way to go to heaven, but he's not the only way to go to heaven. So they were teaching that there are multiple ways to go to heaven. And the Apostle Paul, again, on fire for Jesus Christ, faithful to the word of God, said, no, Jesus, fully God, fully man, he is the only way to be right with God and to go to heaven. And let me say this, it is 2021, and the word of God has not changed. Jesus Christ is still fully God, fully man. He is the only way to be right with God and to go to heaven. It is Christ and Christ alone. And so as we look at the book of Colossians, we see Paul pouring his heart out, sharing theological truth that changed their lives, changing our lives, helping us grow up in Christ. Now let me ask you this question that we'll fill out some blanks for you. But when Jesus Christ is Lord of your life, what happens? Uh, Let me say this, when Jesus Christ is not only Savior of your life, but when Jesus Christ is Lord of your life, everything in life changes. And here's what I mean by that. Attending services, giving 10% are no longer enough when Jesus is Lord of your life. You want to surrender everything of your life to him. And when Jesus Christ is Lord of your life, being a celebrity is no longer your desire. Your desire is to be a servant of Jesus Christ when he is Lord of your life. And so when Jesus is Lord of your life, everything about your life, your walk, your relationships, everything changes. As you look at your outline... Just look up when life is down. I want to walk through this and and answer some questions about when Jesus is Lord of your life, what happens in the midst of that. Look at number one, we expect life to change. As you and I think about Baptists, being Baptists, there's a couple words that make us as Baptists a little uncomfortable and nervous. One of those comes out of Psalm 150, it's the word dance. He says in that passage that we ought to worship the Lord with tambourine and dance. And when you hear that word dance as Baptists, we get a little uneasy. Now, let me just say, when you see the word dance in Psalm 150, that is not some kind of vulgar movement that we would connect it with. It is an appropriate expression of worship to Almighty God. 
But, but as Baptists, we get a little uncomfortable when we hear that word. And then the, the second word is, is the word in this context, we expect life to change. As Baptists, we get nervous when we hear the word change. Makes us uneasy. Sometimes change is frowned upon, but there are other times we look at life and we long for change. We say, I want my health to change. I want our finances to change. I want my career to change. We long for change, but when Jesus Christ is Lord of your life, everything changes. Look at these truths with me. Look at number one, God sees potential. Here's what I know how the Heavenly Father works. He uses people who don't have life together. As you think about this word, it says Paul. Was he always Paul? No, before that he was Saul. As you know something about Saul's life, I mean, who would have ever expected Saul to be someone who was going to be an apostle, someone who was going to be a follower of Christ, someone who's going to be a pastor, preacher, missionary, someone who was going to plant churches, someone who was going to write most of the New Testament under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Who would have ever imagined that Saul, who would become Paul, would do that? Here's how that could happen. God sees potential. Now, as you look at this, look back in Acts chapter 8, verse 3. As you think about the life of Saul, it says, But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house to house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. That is Saul's life. And then just shortly after that, he got saved on the road to Damascus. Jesus Christ changed his life. And now he's an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. Only God could have done that. Only God could have done that. An apostle means someone who was sent. So Paul was now no longer putting people in prison. He was sharing the good news. He was sent of God, making a difference for the Lord Jesus Christ. Only God could do that. Now, as you look at life, God uses people who don't have life together. And as you and I think about being used of God, let me give you some insights. Not on your outline, just some insights when I say God sees potential. Here's how God works. He uses common, ordinary men and women, boys and girls, like you and me. You don't have to be a celebrity. You don't have to be a superstar to be used of God. He uses common, ordinary people like you and me. I had a conversation with someone just a few days ago and said this. Here's how God works. Almighty God can take your greatest misery in your life and turn your greatest misery into your greatest ministry in life. Only God could do that. Your greatest misery... Is transformed by God into your greatest ministry. He uses common, ordinary people like you and me. We also know this. When we say God sees potential, it eliminates the excuses of serving him. How many people look at life and say, well, God could never use me. I mean, look at my past. I don't have, I'm too old, I'm too young. Don't have a seminary degree. Don't have education. Don't have experience. Eliminates all those. Why? God sees potential in your life. And then when you serve the Lord Jesus Christ, when he sees potential in your life, the spotlight of life and ministry are on him, not on you. I don't ever want the spotlight to be on me. Why? Apart from Christ, I can do nothing but with him. I can do all things. The spotlight, the glory needs to be on him, not me. And so when you look in Colossians 1, you see this idea of Paul. What do you look at? You see Paul was someone who was saved on the road to Damascus. God saw potential in his life and God was using him. The same for Paul and for you and me. Look at the second statement there. God promises life. As we go back to John chapter 10, verse 10, 
there's this great truth. We know something about the enemy from this verse. The Bible says here that the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But here's what Jesus said after that. But he said, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Uh, let me ask you, those in the room and those who are watching, as you think about your walk with Christ and about growing up, are you living the abundant life that Jesus promised in John's Gospel, chapter 10? Are you living the abundant life, the life that he desires for you? And you say, well, how can I live the abundant life of Christ? Here's, here's how. You make an eternal U-turn. You realize you're going the wrong way in life. You're living your way and not God's way, so you make an eternal U-turn. You turn from your sin and you trust Jesus Christ to be your Savior. That's the road to abundant life in Christ. You also find yourself like the Apostle Paul. You put yourself in positions where you hear God speaking into your life. Paul knew what the voice of God said to him. Put yourself in a position where you hear God speaking to you. You also make sure that your yes is on the table. I meet people all the time who want to obey God, but they do so with conditions. I'll obey God as long as it's like this. No, you come before God with no conditions. Surrender your life to him. Yes is on the table. God, I'll do whatever you want. That's the abundant life of Christ. And then you live, say, I'm going to live by faith and not by sight. He's not always going to give you every detail. He's not going to give you every turn you're going to make. You obey him to say, God, I'm going to live by faith. And so when you turn from your sin and give your life to Christ... When you put yourself in a position to hear his voice into your life, and when your yes is on the table, you'll do whatever God asks you to do. And when you're living by faith and not by sight, you are going to live the abundant life of Jesus Christ. John chapter 10, verse 10. That's true in your life. And so when you look at this text, when Jesus is Lord of your life, you expect life to change. That happened for Paul, and it happened for you and me. Look at number two. When Jesus is Lord of our lives, what happens? We live out God's will. As you and I think about the will of God, when we are believers in Christ and we're growing up and we're walking with him, life should not stay the same for you and me. Things should be changing. People around us should say, it's evident your life is, Jesus is changing your life. I want to give you five statements here. They're going to come right out of Colossians chapter 1 about living out God's will. Number one, find out God's plan for life. What is the plan of God for your life? You're, you're a child, you're a student, you're an adult. What is the plan of God for your life? Uh, here's what I know in ministry. I get this question all the time from people. Uh, how can I know the will of God? And what does God desire to do in my life? You find out God's plan for your life. Look at this text. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, someone who was sent, how? By the will of God. Uh, Paul just didn't sign up for that. He didn't go down to a career fair and figure out this would be a good thing to do. He was an apostle of Christ Jesus, someone who was sent. Why? Because of the will of God in his life. This was God's plan for the apostle Paul. And so I meet people all the time again. What is God's will for my life? How can I discover his will? In fact, a few weeks ago, I was in a restaurant here in town having a conversation, a spiritual conversation with a young lady who was serving us. Her big question was, I'm at a crossroads in life. Do I go this direction or this direction? What do I need to do? And I said, what you really need to discover is the will of God for your life and make sure you go his direction in life. And she said, well, how do I do that? And they encouraged her to read the Word of God. But also, I said, I've been reading a booklet on how to know the will of God for your life. I'm going to get you a copy. I'm going to bring it to you yesterday. And so I went to that restaurant, and we gave that young woman a booklet on how to know the will of God for your life. 
And when it comes to the will of God, it's not only outlined, but I, I encourage you to look at the will of God in three areas. There's the sovereign will of God. It's just in the sovereignty of God. It's going to happen. You and I can't stop it. We can't do anything about it. It is the sovereign will of God. There's the moral will of God. It is right or wrong. In the eyes of Almighty God, there are things that are right and there are things that are wrong. In the eyes of Almighty God, there is absolute truth from God's word. It's his moral will. And then what most of us really desire is his particular will. But God, what is your will for my life? Who do you want me to marry? I'm at a crossroads. You want me to go this direction or this direction? What career should I pursue? What should I do? You're wanting to know the particular direction of God, his will for your life. You can discover the will of God. Find out his plan for your life. Paul was an apostle because of the will of God. Number two, build relationships with other believers. As you see this text, he was an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother. Paul did not live the Christian life flying solo. Timothy was in his life. He had other individuals in his life. You and I need other people in life. As I thought about this church, and as Angie and I pray for you every single day of our lives, here's what we know when it comes to the body of Christ in this church. Church, we desire to love you. We desire to pray for you. And we desire to serve with you. We need you in our lives. We need the people of God. You need believers in your life. Don't fly solo in the Christian life. We need God's people in life. Look at number three. Know that the believer's lifestyle matters. That's why he went on to say to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. This idea of saints is those who are holy. Doesn't mean you're weird. Doesn't mean you're holier than thou. You're holy. What did God say? You be holy because I'm holy. And so as you seek out saints, some people who are holy, you're seeking to be like the Lord Jesus Christ, be somebody who's living holy before him, but also faithful. These are individuals who are trustworthy and dependable. Paul is complimenting them. Why? They are living faithful, holy and faithful to Almighty God. It makes a difference how you and I live the Christian life. Here's what I know. I've met many people in life who are turned off to the gospel, turned off to church. Why? Because of the inconsistent living of God's people. Well, I can't believe somebody who's a believer would speak like that. I can't believe somebody who's a believer in Christ would live like that. Folks, when we are holy and faithful to Jesus, it should be evident in our speech and our lifestyles. Jesus changes everything. And so when you look at this text here again, he's talking about the saints, the faithful brothers. And then look at number four, focus on a profound theological truth. Here's the truth. Paul, his favorite theological expression, two words, and here they are, in Christ. And that's what he said in this text, to the saints and faithful brothers, in Christ. And you say, what in the world does that mean? Why is it so significant for him? Here's what it means. It means that they know Jesus Christ. They know him. It means that Jesus Christ is the first love of their lives. It means they know that this life is not all there is. They're just passing through. And it also means they know that they will spend eternity in heaven. As you and I think about being in Christ, what a profound theological truth. Let me say this. If you're in Christ, you know this. Jesus Christ is your Savior. He is the first love of your life. You know this life is not all there is. You're simply passing through, and you know that you're going to spend eternity in heaven with the Lord. 
Are you in Christ? In this room or watching, are you in Christ? And then look at number five, desire to make a kingdom difference. He says to these believers at Colossae, he says what? To the saints and faithful brothers in Christ, we're at at Colossae. It was a city, it was a location. See, God has put you in Colossae in this city to do what? To make a kingdom difference. You live out your faith before other people in Colossae. Now, when I look in this sanctuary and I think about those who are watching online, I think about kids and students and adults. Think about where you are in life. And when you look at your life, are you living faithful to Christ, making a kingdom difference where you live? As you look at your family, are you being used of God in your family? As you look at your school, school's kind of crazy right now, I know, but are you being used of God in the context of your schools? As I think about workplaces in your workplace, are you being used of God in your workplace? Think about this church. How is Almighty God using you in this church? And then think about our city, Clarksville, Tennessee. If you're watching online, wherever you may be living at, how is God using your relationship to Christ where you live, where you function, how you carry out life? How is God using you? And Paul's making it very clear to the believers at Colossae. Uh, yeah, when Jesus is Lord of your life, everything changes. When Jesus is Lord of your life, you live out the will of God where you're at in, in, in Colossae. You just live out and you're faithful to him. And then number three, when Jesus is Lord of your life, we understand the many blessings. I love the hymn, Count Your Many Blessings. Folks, we are blessed in Jesus Christ as individuals and as a church. I mean, he's blessed us beyond what we can comprehend. But Paul is going to do something here in Colossians 1. He says, grace to you and peace from God our Father. He always says that. That's his greeting to those who are believers. Also make sure you know this. It is never backwards. It's never peace first and then grace. It is always grace and then it's peace. You know why? Because he wants to make sure you have a relationship with God. And the only way you're going to have a relationship with God is that you experience the grace of God in life. I ask people all the time this question. In your personal opinion, what do you understand it takes for a person to go to heaven? That's an open-ended question, gives them an opportunity to answer. It used to be years ago when I would ask that question. I would expect to get one of three answers when I asked that question. In your personal opinion, what do you understand it takes for a person to go to heaven? One or three answers. Somebody would say, faith, I've given my life to Jesus Christ. I've trusted him. I know I'm going to heaven. That was a faith answer. The predominant answer used to be a works answer. I'm trying to live a good life, trying to do good things. I hope I make it. Maybe I'll get there. Surely it's going to work out in the end. So it was a works type answer. And then there were some people because they didn't grow up in church, they didn't have a Christian background, they just would say in transparency and honesty, I really don't know how to go to heaven. And then that was a great opportunity to share the good news of Christ with them. But here's a fourth answer I'm seeing in our day, and it concerns me. Some people would say faith, it's Christ. Some people say works, I'm trying to balance life out. If the good outweighs the bad, then I'm going to be okay. Some people, I really don't know because I've never been in church. I don't even know what the Bible says. But here's a fourth response I'm hearing from people, and here's what it is. I don't care. Well, that breaks me when I hear that. When I hear people in your personal opinion, what do you understand it takes for a person to go to heaven? I I don't really care. Why? Because they're not focused on spiritual matters. 
But I promise you, folks, in this room and watching, this life is not all there is. You're not going to be here forever. One day your number's going to come up and your life is going, physical life is going to be over. I plead with you, make sure you give your life to Jesus Christ before it's too late. Say yes to him. Experience his grace and experience his peace. Here's what I know. Look at your outline. If you and I are going to know God, here's number one, it requires his unmerited favor. What is his unmerited favor? It's amazing grace. Folks, I hope you and I never get over the grace of God. I'm telling you, we're saved this morning because of the grace of God. We serve the Lord Jesus Christ today because of the grace of God. We face pain, trials, and storms. We're overcomers. Why? Because of the grace of God in life. The grace of God is amazing and marvelous. And when I think about the grace of God in life, you'll never be saved outside of the grace of God. I had a conversation with somebody about two weeks ago talking about the grace of God and how to go to heaven. And I said this, when you look at the Lord Jesus Christ and his death on a cross, that was the greatest mistake in life or that is the only way to be right with God. I said, which one do you think it is? And I said, just so you'll know, it was not a mistake that Almighty God sent his only son to a cross to die for you and me. It is the only way to be right with God. It is the grace of God in Jesus Christ to be saved. Only because of the grace of God. And that's what Paul is saying, grace to you. The amazing grace of God. You don't deserve it. You can't buy it. You'll never earn it. It is the unmerited favor of God, his grace in your life. And then look at the second thing here. Comes with his spiritual benefits. Folks, we love to talk about benefits in life. I go to work for this company, and what do I want to know? What's the pay and what are the benefits? I want to know the benefits. I, I, I get a degree from a university, and I'm going to put hours upon hours in studying and complete this degree and graduate. Well, if I get this degree, what are the benefits? What am I going to get as a result of that? And if we're not careful, sometimes we'll even join the fellowship of a church. They say, well, I'll join that church, but what are the benefits? If I join there, what's going to happen? I pray we'll never look at life as consumers. Life isn't about you and me. Life is about Jesus, not us. But what are the benefits? One of the benefits of experiencing the grace of God is the peace of God. You'll never get peace in this world. You're always going to come up missing. Why? Because he is the prince of peace. You'll only get peace in Christ. But when I look at the Christian life and I I narrow it down, I think about, okay, I've experienced the grace of God as a young boy and his grace has been amazing in my life. And I've experienced the peace of God. So what are the benefits of walking with him? Let me just give you three of these. I, I give you many more, but let me give you three of these. One of them is this. The Lord is always with me. 24-7. 24-7. If I'm on a mountaintop, the Lord's with me. If I'm in a valley, the Lord is with me. If I'm in the midst of a storm, the Lord is with me. Why? That's one of the benefits of grace and that's peace. The Lord is always with me. He's always with you. Second, the Lord has a plan for my life. That's Jeremiah 29, verse 11. Here's what I know about life. Your life is not a mistake. 
I don't care who's told you your life is a mistake. That is a lie from the enemy. Your life is not a mistake. You are fearfully and wonderfully made from Almighty God. Your life is not a mistake. He wants to use your life. You should never, never waste the days of your life. He wants to use you. He wants to use me in life. Third benefit, I would say, is this, is that the Lord promises me a home in heaven. John 14 says, I go to prepare a place for you. Mansions, he says. I know that I'm going to go to heaven. So when I think about the many blessings of God and I think about the benefits of that, God, thank you that you're always with me. Thank you that you've got this incredible plan for my life. And God, thank you that I know that I'm going to be in heaven forever and ever with you. Two weeks ago, I was asked very humbly, and it was just a little bit overwhelming, invited to come back to Tallahassee, Florida, and to preach the message of hope for Coach Bobby Bowden at his service. It was a service about two and a half hours long, incredible testimonies, incredible stories. Interesting enough, not many people talked about football. They all talked about his faith and his family. Sixteen years ago, before that service, uh, just a, just two weeks ago, they sent me a letter that he wrote his six kids 16 years ago. The Bowden family went through a tragedy, and he wanted to send each of his kids a personal letter, and he did so, and they sent me a copy of it. I'm not going to read the entire letter to you, but I just want you to know the heart of Coach Bobby Bowden. And when, and when I stood at his funeral that day, Civic Center, thousands of people there, when I stood there, here's what I said. Football was his platform but the gospel was his mission. It was about the gospel. Now, his family came through a significant tragedy 16 years ago. He writes all six kids a personal letter, and here's what he says in this letter. I just quote, I'm going to read it from the letter. When I die and go to heaven, one of the greatest football coaches in history, when I die and go to heaven, in parentheses it says, I know I will. Here's a football coach at new national championships, but here's a football coach who knew he was going to heaven. So he said, when I, when I die and go to heaven, I know I will. If all of you and your family are not there with me, when your time comes, I will have considered myself to have failed in life. Did you just get that? One of the greatest football coaches in history says, when I die and I'm in heaven, if you are not there, and listen, it would be the greatest failure of my life. And then he went on to say, all the statues, trophies, championships will be in vain. Somewhere along the way I live, I failed you if you are not there. And then Coach Bowden said, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I chose Jesus as my Savior and committed to follow him. In this room and those who are watching, what about you? Do you know that you're going to heaven? Do you know that you trusted the Lord Jesus Christ? And we just plead with you today. If you don't know that, surrender your life to Jesus Christ now. You can say, it is well with my soul. Why? Because of Jesus. If you need to be baptized, obey the leadership of Christ. You want to join the fellowship of this church? I'd plead with you to do so. Obey him. 
he's calling you to ministry or some other decision in the Christian life. You obey him in the room. If you're watching, you need spiritual help. You've got questions, ways we can pray for you. You see an email address there. You respond to us. We'd love to help you in your walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Jesus Christ changes everything. And so let's bow together as I'm going to lead us in prayer and then we're going to sing together. So Father, we thank you today for the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for the salvation of the Apostle Paul. We thank you for using him. And Father, we thank you that Jesus changes everything. And so in the room are those who are watching right now. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus Christ, a name is above every name, the powerful name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray that people could not sit through this invitation and reject you and deny you and run from you. Father, I pray even now that individuals would say yes to the Lord Jesus Christ. I trust him as my Savior. I know I'm going to heaven. I want to be obedient to him in baptism. I want to join the fellowship of his church, his people. He's calling me to serve him, and I want to say yes to him. Father, I pray this morning in this room and those who are watching that decisions will be made for the glory of yours. And Father, move in this place, we pray, and that we could walk out of here today and say, whatever happens to me in life, I can say it is well because Jesus changes everything. And Father, we love you and adore you, and we pray this today in the strong, powerful, amazing name of Jesus. Amen. Let's stand together as we sing. You come this morning as we're here as pastoral staff. Prayer warriors are here. You come. We receive you as you obey Christ. Let's sing together.